To the Movie Dicks Podcast. I am Gabriel Chavez. And I am Paul Schendel. Today we are assessing oh my the God. 2019 <laughs> Disney money grubbing shit heap called The Lion King. Soulless and dickless <laughs> piece of shit. That is the line. Let's, let's 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 hold off on the assessments for now, Paul. Hang on one second. Let's just, if you guys want to refresh, you can watch the superior 1994 animated movie rather than watching this yeah. pile of shit. It's the exact same story. They don't change a goddamn thing. They add scenes, which is really fucking weird, and they change around scene order, which completely fucks up like momentum in this movie. But if you need a refresher, watch the 94 Lion King, or I can tell you in my best Hugh Downs voice, I guess. But first, this is a spoiler alert. If you haven't seen The Lion King, you've been living under a fucking rock for 25 years, uh, 26 years now. Or you just don't give a shit about Disney movies, or you were a soulless child, like Child of the Corn, or something like that. But otherwise, this is a spoiler alert. We're obviously going to dig into this movie. We're going to make fun of it. So if you haven't seen The Lion King, shut this off. Go watch a fucking movie. Go watch The Fucking Lion King. Watch the 94 version that doesn't suck. So without further ado, let's hand it over to Hugh Downs. After the murder of his father, a young lion prince flees his kingdom only to learn the true meaning of responsibility and bravery. Keep working on it. Uh, It's a Disney release via Disney Animation Studios. Right off the bat, I got to bitch about something before I continue on with my opening segments. Why is there an animated hand-drawn logo for the Disney banner and whatnot for a computer animated film? (laughs) Fuck off. Seriously? You're going to use the old Going back to the roots and uh, just harvesting all of their... Harvest is one word. Yeah, It's produced by a myriad of people. The only returning producer who apparently has no soul as he is willing to destroy a masterpiece that he made 25 years prior is Thomas Schumacher. He's the only guy that produced the original and produced this pile of shit. One notable producer here is Julie Taymor. She directed the motherfucking thing on Broadway for whatever that's worth. She's a talented director in her own right. She gave us the really amazing 2007 Beatles musical drama Across the Universe, which I really dig that movie. Yeah, that's a good one. I have no idea why the fuck she did this pile of shit, but besides the fact... It stars an amazing cast of big name and great actors. I want to differentiate the two categories because while a few of these people are great actors, most of them are just big names. And that's a really important delineation there. <laughs> the, fir- the first category I'm going to go into is the, the great actors. The, <laughs> the first category I'm going to go into is great actors. And it's led by Chiwetel Ejiofar, who plays Scar in this movie. He's got awful in this, but I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> He's he's absolutely an incredible actor. He was incredible in 12 yeah. Years a Slave. He's brilliant in that movie. And, it, you know, dude, honestly, the thing that I always associate him with will always be Alfonso Cuaron's movie in 2006, Children of Men, because he is so fucking great in that movie. And he was in the underwatched beauty of a film that's called Dirty Pretty Things from 2012. Seriously, if you haven't seen that movie, go check that out. It's a fucking brilliant movie. A Man Who Needs No Intro is also in this movie, even though I just gave him one, and that's James Earl Jones, <laughs> the brilliant Alfre Woodard, mm, and the name. and the ever impressive Donald Glover. Seriously, people, if you're not watching Atlanta, watch Atlanta. It's the best fucking show on television. It really is. It's brilliant. It's funny. It's heartfelt. 
and it's so goddamn good. Never it's seen so it. It's so goddamn good. Donald Glover does white face, dude, in one of the seasons. <laughs> it's fucking uh, it's fucking incredible. It really is. Yeah. The second category is big names. These are people who have a name but aren't actors. I want to stress that they aren't actors. And I don't believe that they're talented. These include John Oliver. Seriously, John, never quote unquote act again if that's what you're calling it <laughs> jd mccrary who the fuck is that i have no idea who this person is but he plays the young simba beyonce why <laughs> keegan michael key dude i love you man but what the fuck you playing one of the hyenas was one of the low points of your career man like you just need to go back to doing netflix you know what i mean like he was in friends from college which is a pretty good netflix show and he's fucking funny in it but ever since yeah. him and peel split up and they're doing their own thing like key has been suffering like with these shit movies yeah. and shit roles and it's just a fucking shame because <laughs> yeah. he is he's great man yeah. he's fucking great lastly it's rounded out by chance the fucking rapper i have no idea why the fuck he's in this movie again <laughs> chance the rapper what does he do uh chance the rapper i i actually didn't write that down because i don't give a shit but chance the rapper plays uh, Bush Baby? I don't know what Bush Baby was. I don't remember that. You forgot uh, Seth Rogen. And no, 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 no. I was getting to him. Oh. Seth Rogen plays Pumbaa <laughs> terribly. <should> never never <laughs> sing again. <laughs> again. And Billy fucking Eichner, who I hate with a goddamn passion. That guy is so fucking irritating. He makes Timon out to be this unconscionable, like, selfish cunt throughout the entire movie. And it's just, it's terrible, man. Like, there's no sympathy for him or anything. And it's just, it's fucking bad. His YouTube show, Billy on the Street, is one of the worst fucking things I've ever seen in my life. It really is. Yeah, and I, I hate him. It. I hate him. I You're know, definitely doing yourself a favor by not watching it, Paul. I'll tell you that. The rest of the cast includes the always amazing Phil Lamar. Oh, shit. I shot Marvin in the face, Phil Lamar. Oh, shit. What does he do? <laughs> He's an Impala. Hmm. I, and I think it's just that moment where Simba jumps over yeah, yeah, yeah. the thing. Yeah. Okay. So moving <laughs> on. <laughs> And uh, John Connie is in this movie. Uh, he's King Chakaya in Black Panther. I'm sorry I fucked that up. I, I don't remember how to say that because I only saw Black Panther once. And I don't, I don't care to see it again. Um, <laughs> It's directed by John Favreau, who continues to ruin shit from my childhood. <laughs> Star, Star Wars. Didn't included. you? Well, didn't you like uh, Jungle Book? Or is that no, 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 no. I didn't like Jungle Book, but I'll, I'll get to what I like about him here in a second. But yeah. I definitely did not like The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian, I'll, I'll get to that later when I talk more about John Favreau. Seriously, John, remember a movie called Swingers you were in from back in the day? Let's make good movies like that again one day. You've been bombing it since 2001 with the movie Made. Then you did Elf. I'm sorry. Did Elf, my yeah, God. Uh, I, no. I, I almost <laughs> got through saying that word without yeah. trying to puke. <laughs> he did uh, Zathura, which is also a fucking bad movie. The first Iron Man, which I have to say, Robert Downey Jr. did a, most of his work here, you fucking hack. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely wasn't John Favreau that made that movie great. It was Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man 2, again, Robert Downey Jr. That goddamn awful pile of shit, flaming shit, called Cowboys and Aliens. You remember that one, Paul? <laughs> you somehow fucked up Bond and Indy 
in the same movie. Like you <laughs> fucked that up. How do you do that? He also did the remake of the Jungle Book. Why, 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 why the live action remakes, John? I mean, we all saw this coming. I mean, yeah, Disney eventually. is just going back through all of their movies. And, you know, <laughs> there's kind of two timelines. You've got the early Disney, which is uh, dominated by Tim Burton remaking them. And then right. there's the kind of 90s renaissance and they're remaking all those to those ones well (laughs) i mean let's see i actually i i pulled up a list here there's 15 live action remakes that disney has done thus far including the jungle book alice in wonderland beauty and the beast dumbo aladdin and the lion king and they have another 17 live action films (laughs) lined up including including the upcoming mulan uh, another remake of 101 Dalmatians, another fucking remake of Peter Pan, another fucking remake of The Little Mermaid, another remake of The Jungle Book, uh, another remake of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, a remake of Pinocchio, another remake of Sword in the Stone. Yeah, the list goes uh, another on. I fucking, think we get the idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> An Aladdin spinoff, for uh, Christ's sake. New spin-off. Yeah. And they're going to remake Bambi. God damn, I would love to see a, a fucking photorealistic version of Bambi where Bambi's mom's brains get blown all over the rock. <laughs> Bambi rated R. Rated yeah, R, yeah. Good. Okay, so he's also doing an upcoming Lion King 2 along with an episode of The Mandalorian as well as being the showrunner. I will say that the outlier that I previously mentioned for me on his directorial career is Chef. I don't know if you saw that, Paul. Yeah, no, I love Chef. That's a good movie. I enjoyed that a lot. Chef, I dug that, but maybe it's because it's food porn or maybe it's because that John made a good movie because he's a fat fuck. (laughs) He's got a lot of passion for food. I mean, he has has like a Netflix (laughs) series. It's like about cooking too. Yeah. I mean, you can see that every time he puts a piece of food in his mouth. It's like, it's just he envelops it like the blob. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the other movie that I like that he made was uh, Much to Do About Nothing. Have you seen that? It's like he, a Shakespeare. You're talking about the black like, and white. You're weekend. talking about the black and white one. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. number one, you're wrong because that was Josh Whedon. Josh oh. Whedon did that. Well, fuck. <laughs> so much for my any respect that I have for this guy. I know. <laughs> See? Now you don't have to have any respect for him. Uh, Jeff Nathanson uh, wrote this fucking thing. He did Catch Me If You Can, which is a great movie. But I want to put a pause on that for a second because he also wrote Speed 2 Cruise Control. Oh, no. <laughs> that undoes everything. But wait, but wait. It gets great. worse. Oh, no. He did Pirates 5. <laughs> he did Rush Hour oh. 3. He did The Terminal, which is Steven Spielberg's worst movie by far. <laughs> and yes, dear listeners, he wrote Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of Crystal Scott. <laughs> dear, you son of a bitch. So you knew that this movie was going to suck before you even saw it because of Jeff Nathanson's, na- Nathanson's name on this thing. I mean, okay, the fact that he wrote it doesn't mean much because most of it's just li- lifted directly off the the last script so there's not much going on here writing wise this guy had the balls to rearrange scenes though paul that didn't need to be rearranged including the pouncing scene that's playing behind me at this exact moment it didn't need to be rearranged but i'll get to that in a second let's see it's 118 minutes long despite the original doing the exact same story in 88 minutes somehow there's 30 extra minutes in this movie even though there's no new shit and it was produced on a measly budget of a whopping 260 million dollars oh my god (laughs) 
remember again this means that it's actually 520 million dollars with advertising a half a billion dollars to bring this pile of shit to the screen <laughs> that means everybody yeah. was getting their full quote that means that beyonce wasn't taking you know raid on this or anything like that it was released on july 19th 2019 at 4725 theaters and opened with a whopping 191 million dollar opening fuck you john favreau <laughs> So it made a total run over 140 days of $543 million domestically and $1.113 billion worldwide, bringing the total goddamn money-grubbing asshole Disney total to $1.656 billion. That makes it the 19th overall adjusted for inflation gross of all time worldwide, behind another shit movie called Star Wars Episode One. <laughs> The original, rest in peace since Disney murdered you, is number 63 overall. Its least impact was made in Bolivia, a whopping $22,055 gross. That, 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 that means, that means. They don't like talking animals down there. It's, uh, it's an average cost of 46 Bolivian dollars per ticket or $13.33 US. For total asses in the seats at 1,658 people saw this movie in Bolivia in the theater. To give you a, an idea here, there's 11.35 million people in Bolivia, which means that uh, 1.4 of a percentage point of Bolivia went to go see this movie. One 1.4 thousandths of a percent, Paul. Sounds like uh, it opened in one theater for one day, <laughs> and that was it. I'm sorry. I, I need to back up. It's actually 1,658 and one quarter people. Again, with the one quarter person going to see these movies. There's Apparently, there's hmm. a quarter of a human being wandering around going to see these <laughs> movies in small markets around the world. I, I don't understand who this quarter person is. Yeah. It's got a 6.9 on IMDb with 186,000 votes, a 55 on Metacritic, and a 53, which means it's rotten on RottenTomatoes.com. Lastly, it's rated R. Just kidding. I wish it was rated R. <laughs> it's rated PG for sequences of violence and peril and some thematic elements. Whoa. Paul, I'm going to kick it over to you first because I, I don't want to start berating this, any, this movie any more than I already have. All right. So I'm a big fan of the original Lion Kings. It's probably one of my only favorite Disney movies that exists. Sure. I don't include Pixar movies in there, by the way. But yeah. uh, it just maybe this movie is better if you have never seen the original Lion King. <laughs> but the first thing I wrote down when I watched this was soulless. And that's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's just a soulless money grab. They chose this photorealism. I mean, this is a classic example of them getting way over over obsessed with the technology mm -hmm. to make this movie and they forgot to make a good movie. Yeah. And so you end up with these characters that, you know, like Zazu his has no expression whatsoever, <laughs> like a photorealistic looking kind of bird thing, but there's no emotion conveyed in any of their expressions. I mean, they're supposed to look like, real animals i guess yeah. but when you've seen the original lion king where they the animators the brilliant animators in that movie were able to like bring these animal characters to life and yep. you know make them express emotion like you know better than humans and <laughs> in case but this movie they're just like these blank faced yeah. you know, cg monster I mean things <laughs> i I think it's immediately the first thing that pulled me out was the animation because while it is photorealistic, it was like, okay, 
So I'm watching an animated movie that's photorealistic, that's shot on actual digital media, and then they drew all these images in digitally in order to create the animals. But the first thing that pulls me out is immediately Zazu, because Zazu comes up and he's like moving his fucking face. He's unable to move it because he's just whacking up and down with his fucking beak. And he looks like <laughs> he looks like a lifeless puppet that can't even emote yeah. the same emotion as fucking Elmo. But somehow it's just it's it's just it's disconcerting in order yeah, to look Zazu at. Zazu is probably the worst. And I think the whole problem stems from them using like realistic muscular skeletal models in there like uh, things so you know if the animator wanted to move an an eye eyebrow or lip or something like that to make it more expressive they're like oh no you can't do that because lions don't have eyebrows that move so (laughs) just gonna have to work with the three muscles that are there (laughs) oh this is what you get you get a bunch of little flat expressionless animals yeah (sighs) first up dude you know the opening shot with the sun shot okay so this this is me being picky but not centering the the sun in the frame and not using as much of a telephoto lens the sun is like this dinky little thing in the frame and it rises up off center in the screen and then you hear the music coming up and it's like what am i watching am i watching a fan (laughs) video like what is this like so uh I watched a behind the scenes thing and the sun shot is the only real piece of media in, <laughs> in the movie. And it turns out John Favreau and a bunch of other people went to Africa to look at all these animals on safari and he snuck a shot in of the sun. Oh, wow. Great. And Great. So there you go. So I'm that's wrong. Why with that. That's in there. So I'm wrong. <laughs> and it's even more soulless than I thought. I thought that yeah. there was at least some real plates in here that they were animating over. No, that's the only one. Huh. Rest is 100% digital. Okay, so then I have, I have a yeah. bigger question then. <laughs> if they're able to make the surroundings look so goddamn real, because they do, they look real, like the, the settings that they're in, the, but they still can't get lighting correct on digital fur. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I guess it costs a shitload of money in order to generate these like photorealistic environments, but... They can't spend some of that money like trying to make the lighting look real on the actual people that were or the fucking animals that we're looking at. Yeah, they just uh, did what they could, I think, and called it good. And they were proud of themselves for getting as far as they did, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, everything else, they, I guess that's the reason why that shot was fucked up then, because everything else is exactly yeah. shot for shot the same as the other movie. But, you know, other other than the dance sequences, we'll get to that in a second. I'm sure they didn't pay him a shitload of money. I don't know how much money John Oliver commands these days, but it can't be that much, right? I doubt it. I don't know why they picked him over anyone else, but yeah. they wanted a big name. There you go. Big name, John Oliver. <laughs> everyone knows. Who, He's a British guy that everyone knows. Who Who is his demographic, though, that he's drawing into going to see this movie? Like the... The liberal intellectuals that are sitting at home with their children. Yeah, maybe that's what the, maybe they thought they needed that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, they, one thing you can give them kudos for is they didn't whitewash the cast like in previous <laughs> movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll so, give them that. I'll give them that. Yeah, they actually cast yeah. black people to play African animals. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> maybe that's worse. I don't know, man. Like it's, yeah. it's something for sure. 
So I, yeah. I got I gotta ask about Rafiki for a second. Cause in the opening sequence he he pulls up the root, right? The big weird root thing and he breaks it apart and then like puts the shit on Simba's head. In the original it was yeah. a it was a gourd, right? He cracks the gourd open and he rubs the yeah. shit on Simba's head. The the fucking roots, when he puts them up in the air and he rips them apart, the first thing that popped into my mind was intestines for some reason. Like it looks like intestines <laughs> and it comes off as creepy. Whereas the original Rafiki came off as being like indelible almost immediately. And I just, yeah. I, it was a weird choice to go with the roots instead yeah. of the fucking hey, I mean, they kind of fucked up Rafiki <laughs> for sure. I'll, then, you know, Rafiki has this big moment where he lifts the baby Simba off the edge <laughs> of Pride Rock, you know, in the original, it's super dramatic. Yeah. But in this one, he's like sitting on his haunches and he kind of lifts him up in the air. And yeah. And I watched the special features, and guess what? They did that because real baboons can't stand. stand. <laughs> <laughs> wow, thank so, you. Thank you for the realism, yeah. John Favreau. Yeah. So mm -hmm. in regards to the runtime, Paul, do we really need to see the fucking field mouse for a minute and a half prior oh to him yeah. showing up in Scar's I mean, case? It's especially bad knowing like what happens in the original movie you're just like sitting there just fucking get on with that shit <laughs> yeah so this is there's no tension in it either or like shock factor like in the original movie uh, i saw as a kid and when like scar slams his paw down on the little mouse i was like oh, yeah. oh my god makes you jump yeah but in the in this new one it's like this slow thing where he kind of chases the mouse around and plays with it instead of like Showing you that he just doesn't give a shit about life <laughs> in general and especially small little things that can't protect themselves. So, yeah. so we fucked up like a, a nice character moment for Scar. Yeah, that. right. Off. Absolutely. Right off the bat. Um, I'm going to immediately start bitching about Chiwetel's performance, right? Chiwetel is Scar is the single worst thing about this movie. So I don't know if he thought just because that this is Hamlet, the basic story structure of this movie is Hamlet, whether he's supposed to perform this as if he's on the fucking stage he's not doing shakespeare in the park is my point but <laughs> the way that yeah. he reads his lines are like he's actually doing shakespeare in the park and the i'll keep referring to him as this i'm going to just keep calling him pregnant pause rather than chiwetel because chiwetel has so many pregnant pauses in this movie and the first right off the bat same scene he smashes his paw down on top of the mouse and he says life's pause <laughs> not fair is it yeah. and i don't i don't understand why he has all these dramatic pauses like they're they're disconcerting and you know yeah. I, I was thinking about this watching this is the second time that i've seen this movie but i was watching it and i kept thinking about what it really sounds like to me is that he didn't have all these actors john didn't have all these actors at the same time to record their voices so they were recording off of recordings of each other okay so somehow that isn't true they do this big deal in the the behind the scenes of how <laughs> they make this huge open set and have all the voice actors uh. in there standing and acting out their performances while they're being recorded and somehow it doesn't sound like they're in the same sound no. stage there's no timing between the actors yep. or they're 
really confused about what the fuck they're supposed to be doing, <laughs> even though they could just go back and watch the original Lion King and figure it out like almost immediately. I mean, all right, so look. This- <laughs> so there's like lots of lines that are perfect in the original and they're the same exact line in the new one, but it like, they miss the intonation. There's right. like, <laughs> I don't know. And they have all these weird pauses, especially (laughs) Tweedle, right? Yeah. And it's too bad they couldn't get Jeremy Irons again. Yeah. That's who it was, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jeremy Jeremy Irons is fucking great in that movie, dude. Loki voice. Yeah. He's so good in Scar. (laughs) I just, it's, it's, it, I mean, it's surprising that you said that because I, I haven't watched any of the behind the scenes shit on this because it, it drives me insane. I can't watch this. I, the only <laughs> thing that I'll give it is the two hours that it took for me to watch it. And it's surprising to me that you said that because it's just, it's so disconcerting for me to hear that. And a lot of this has to do with like, if you're, if you're doing a remake of something, there's like the whole idea about like your own performance versus like a version of somebody else's performance. And there's also a lot to do with like directing. So like if John isn't really giving them, and I'll tell you right off the bat, I know that John wasn't giving them what they needed because these guys are great actors (laughs) and you can feel Mm -hmm. that his direction's not there because not having that strong direct and not, being able to give your actors like objectives to play off of each other it does end up turning out like this even a great actor can end up in this space because they're shooting in the dark yeah that comes across in pretty much all of the dialogue i'm trying to think if there's any dialogue that feels like it has natural timing or fits the situation that you're watching nope unfold across (laughs) the screen i also wonder if they like animated the mouths just like anime style for whatever i mean they you know published this in what hundreds of languages nearly yeah um, so i don't know if they animated the mouths of the the lions just the flapping mouth and <laughs> you know try to line up every couple syllables with it or something yeah. I, don't, I don't know it, <laughs> of course it doesn't help that they try to make the lions have realistic mouth movements yeah. and shit like that it just looks like shit <laughs> Oh, here we are. We're watching it in the background and they like totally eviscerated like one of the best songs in the movie. Yeah, Be Prepared. And Be Prepared. They just like (laughs) turned it into a poetry jam. Yeah, it's like it's like slam poetry, dude. There's like even Shuido's like Shuido's singing, quote unquote, isn't really singing. It's like this. And then he fucking yells. Spoken word. Yeah. And then he yells. He's like he's he's like speaking it very quietly, and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, "Man, be king undisputed." I'm like, "Why? Why are you yelling? I don't understand." Yeah. And maybe William Shatner could do a better job. Oh, dude, William Shatner! I would pay I would pay good money to see William Shatner play this role, no doubt. <laughs> so I, I got I got a question about character objectives. Scar expresses to the mouse that he picks up that they're both trying to find a way out. That line doesn't make any sense. Like Scar doesn't want to find a way out. He wants to find a way in. He wants to find a way to take the kingdom for himself. Yeah. Like it's always been his objective. He is an outsider, but he doesn't want to find his way out or else he would have left years ago. Yeah, I don't know how that works. That oh, small, matter. small character objective <laughs> problem. <laughs> you can you can tell. By the way, that James Earl Jones is bored oh, yeah. he, playing this movie yeah. again. He just like he speaks like, most of the same lines as the original, but they're all like flat compared to the original. And he's just like, I don't know, it gives a fuck. Why don't you just reuse my voice from the original and pay me again? Let me do that. Maybe <laughs> maybe if I just phone it in, they'll pay. 
<laughs> or he's just really old. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, dude. I mean, he, he was in this movie with Robin Williams called Angriest Man in Brooklyn. And if you if you haven't seen it, it's it's a hilarious performance by Robin Williams and it's very heartfelt. But James Earl Jones is in that movie and he plays this uh, bodega owner and Robin Williams runs in and he's trying to get a camera so that way he can record a video for his estranged son. He only has a few hours to live. And James Earl Jones is sitting behind the counter and he's decrepit and old and he can't stand up very easily. So he spends like 30 seconds just trying to get out of the chair. But then as soon as he opens his mouth, he's a fucking stutterer. <laughs> his stutter is so bad that Robin Williams just keeps looking at him like, oh my God, why does the world hate me? <laughs> it's so good but all all that being said i'm not sure if it's his age paul i really do think it's a lot of he is probably wondering why they need to remake this movie (laughs) and (laughs) he's wondering why he's there so a a great example of this though is that he has his moment where simba jumps on top of him when he's asleep and is like trying to wake him up in order to go up to the top of pride rock and see the kingdom right and james earl jones says before sunrise he's your son and in the original he's acting like he's asleep or he's just waking up you can hear him kind of gravelly like trying to wake up before sunrise he's your son right the intonation in this movie his line he rushes it he's like before sunrise he's your son and it's the same line but it's completely different (laughs) meaning in, in the original there's when he delivers the line look at the stars it's like there's this wonder and respect about you know that he's about to explain that there's kings uh, you know all the kings of future past whatever but uh <laughs> in this version he's just like look at the stars and i don't know how he does it but it fails again to deliver yeah, any kind of emotion <sighs> and yeah i want i want to talk about this real quick is that the the pouncing scene right like zazu flies in and does the morning report right in the original he's doing the morning report and during simba and mufasa are standing there and mufasa is listening intently to zazu and simba is jumping around trying to pounce on this grasshopper that's flying around and that's what spurs mufasa to turn to him and say what are you doing son he says i'm pouncing he says let me show you how an old pro gets it done and it's this fun moment where he's going to teach his son on his top advisor that he's going to have his son like tackle Zazu but it that scene that mini scene of him chasing the grasshopper makes the next scene happen it's like this thing in screenwriting where it's like every single scene has to deserve the next scene so in this movie he immediately pounces on Zazu there's none of this lead up to it and then the next scene that you see after that is this five minute long scene of Simba dancing around trying to fucking pounce on this fucking beetle and it's completely out of place it just slows any momentum that would have been there completely out because the the buildup of that scene when he's doing the morning report is that hyenas are in the pride lands and it sets up the whole thing about hyenas shouldn't be in the pride lands and the whole thing about scar wanting to have the hyenas there and that's the fucking point of the scene but they cut the meat out of it by just arranging the scene order and there's no reason to do that you didn't need to rearrange the scene order Jeff Nathanson just did it for the fuck of it, or maybe the, <laughs> the editor was asleep and didn't know which scene went yeah. where. I, I'm not exactly sure who's to blame here, but I blame John Favreau because he's a piece <laughs> of shit. Okay, so here, here's the thing about Jeremy Irons' performance, right? Jeremy Irons is creepy and a little bit off, 
and he's extremely calculating, right? That's the whole thing is he's constantly thinking about his scheme or how he's going to work one over on somebody. And that's key to his character. In this movie, the scene that begs Simba to go out into the elephant graveyard in the original, he plays with Simba a little while and says like, you know, oh no, Simba, I can't possibly tell you. And like Simba begs him and begs him and begs him. And he accidentally, quote unquote, says an elephant graveyard is no place for a young prince. And he goes, oops, oh dear, I've said too much. And it's good and it's funny and it works. Mm -hmm. In this movie, Simba's asking him what's in the dark and shadowy place and he immediately offers up a, yeah, an elephant grave in our yard is no place for a young prince. And then he walks off and I'm like, what yeah, the fuck? It's just, it's another example of trying to cut things out to make it your own. But those things were there for a reason. Yeah. In this movie, he's just this like lackey that like kind of stumbles into taking over the throne. He's not actually like when the gorge actually happens, he's like, oh, wow, that actually worked. And like, <laughs> but in the original, Scar worked his ass off in order to get that moment to happen. So that way he knew that fucking Mufasa would die and that Simba, he could chase Simba off because he knows that he has that control over Simba. Yeah. In this movie, Simba just comes off as this fucking entitled prick the whole fucking movie. <laughs> he doesn't come off as like this kid that's trying to become his own person and get out of the, sh the shadow of his dad. He's just entitled the whole fucking movie and it doesn't make him the least bit interesting nor that you should give a shit about his plight or that you should care about him. And this is something that's all contextualized in my 30s but i grew up watching this movie i keep saying you know like my parents raised me watching movies chronologically my first color movie that i actually saw was this movie i was seven years old and it blew my mind it's so fucking colorful oh. and it's so beautiful and i made my mom take me like 14 <laughs> times to see it in the theater and to this day it still holds that special place in my heart but like this movie i feel bad for any kid that this is their first experience for the lion king because like it's such a great story and it's it's widely regarded even amongst like the Disney employees as being like the crown jewel of the hand-drawn yeah. animated movies and they just took an utter hit <laughs> on it with this thing. No. Yeah. And I mean, the soundtrack is, it's perfect in the original. Like all of Elton John's songs are like perfect. Oh, and man. Like so much fun. And then, you know, like I never heard as a kid all of these kind of African kind of sounds either. But now that opened up a whole like new continent of music to me. And, ah, but yeah. yeah, they kind of fuck with all the songs in this. <laughs> I don't know if we should get into that now or later, but I think I'll get into it a little bit later because. There's some great examples that I can get into later that really bothered me. But I'm going to skip ahead real quick and talk about the lack of excitement that's within this scene that just passed behind us with the gorge scene, right? Well, yeah. First, the wildebeests like barely look like they're running. They're kind of galloping. Yeah. You know, there's no yeah. like... <laughs> panic in them that kind of comes across in the original movie they're just kind of these flat yeah. i'm pretty sure they just programmed a little wildebeest thing <laughs> to and cut and pasted a thousand times and then kind yeah. of hand animated a few here and there but yeah they don't come across as like stampeding <laughs> this is an important moment right because it reshapes all of simba's life and it reshapes the entire second act of the movie is it like simba sees his dad die and in this movie, for instance, I'm going to go back to comparing the original and I'm going to break down the scene in the original because in the original, Simba is on the dead tree and that wildebeest comes along and cracks it, right? Like hits the 
stick or hits the branch and Simba goes flying and Mufasa jumps up without care as to how bad he's going to get fucked up because he knows he needs to save his son and he catches Simba out of midair and lands and he starts running in line with the wildebeest and this wildebeest, this rogue wildebeest like swerves because it's panicked because there's fucking thousands of them in the gorge and hits Mufasa in the face and when he hits Mufasa, he drops Simba, right? And like Mufasa goes skidding off somewhere and Simba goes skidding off somewhere and there's this very tense moment where it's on the ground with him and all these wildebeest are coming at him and he can't see his dad and he's lost and it's fucking nerve-wracking, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then Mufasa runs up out of the clouds of dust and grabs Simba and then jumps up on the wall and like lands on the wall. In this movie, all that shit's gone. <laughs> he he goes up on the tree, he grabs Simba, he runs down the way a little bit, jumps up on the wall, puts Simba on the wall and like gets hit by the fucking wildebeest and gets like speared. But all that like stress that you endured for those few moments of like wondering where Simba and where Mufasa is, is nowhere to be found because this movie doesn't give a shit. Yeah, it all fails. And uh, then there's the moment between Scar and Mufasa and uh, th- yeah, the lines don't get delivered there either. <laughs> no. <laughs> that, that's that's actually a big thing. Hang on. I, I wrote this down because that's something that I wanted to talk about. Pregnant pause again <laughs> says, Long live the king. Yeah. <laughs> There's this pregnant pause there, but he punches him in the face and he says it all in the same volume. He says it in a fairly loud tone, long live the king. But in the original, the whole point of the scene is is that this is his brother portraying him. This is as Shakespearean as it gets. And he puts his claws in him and he leans down next to him and he says, long live the king. And then he throws him off. That's the original. It's like this quiet thing that he's going to whisper in his brother's ear and Mufasa is going to realize that the man that he thought was his brother is a fucking murderer and doesn't care about him one iota. And that's the kicker. That's the thing that's supposed to hit you in the gut. But again, here, it's nowhere to be found, (laughs) even though this is an important moment. All right, so this scene, I wanted to get your opinion on this scene because this scene has the Monty Python Holy Grail moment. moment. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, because the buzzard turns around and looks and sees them like way off in the distance. And then they cut back to the buzzard and then they cut back to Timon and Pumbaa and they're a little bit closer and then back to the buzzard and then back to Pumbaa and Timon and they're a little bit closer and then back to the buzzard. And right then they get blasted by Pumbaa and Timon. And all I could think of was Monty Python when I saw this scene. It it, it guts it, man. Again, it guts it. Because we see it coming. The whole thing is in the original is that you see Simba down on the ground and the buzzards are going for him and you're like, oh my God, is he dead? We don't know if he's dead. And then like out of nowhere, the comedic moment comes up. Yeah. They come in and they start bashing through him. And it's funny and it breaks up that like moment. But in this movie, it's just like... Yeah, they were going for the, the meta moment, I think, or whatever, the referential moment back to... I should really, really hope so because like it's it doesn't work. And you know, I, I want to bring something up right away. Hollywood, despite being or pretending to be like full of liberals and full of people that are like progressives, they show some really abusive behaviors <laughs> in all of Hollywood. This movie in particular, Timon and Pumbaa's behavior is a completely abusive psychological. <laughs> 
relationship. He is constantly gaslighting Pumbaa. And it's fucking like, I, and it's played for laughs. And I'm like, what are you trying to say? Like, like Timon would poke fun at Pumbaa in the original, but he never gaslit him. You know what I mean? He was never gaslighting I don't know, him. Timon was kind of an asshole in that movie, in the original. Like, uh. But in, in, in this movie, he's just like an unforgivable dick all the time. And maybe this is part of it is that like Nathan Lane is such a superior actor yeah. to Billy Eichner. I don't know, man. There's something about it. And his voice is fucking annoying. <laughs> like it's so annoying. Nathan Lane, at least I felt like it was like this weird like uncle that was talking to me, you know, and that I could find like comfort in his, his comedy or something like that. But Billy Eichner, he's just like this annoying fucking person. And he that's who he plays in like all of his comedic roles and like his stand up and everything like that. He's an annoying fuck. That's his shtick. And then you're just thinking about Seth Rogen the whole time. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's Seth yeah. Rogen. Like, where's the yeah, dick yeah. joke? Where's the weed joke? Yeah. Gets in a fart so, joke, of course, or a couple, actually. How many fart jokes were there? You know, they just played it down, though. En- enough, <laughs> enough. So <laughs> this brings me to another example of why the original is better. Is it in the song when he's talking about how he had the gas problem when he was a kid and it ran everybody away from him? And it's like this song where Pumbaa gets to have like his operatic moments because he loves singing, even though he's got a terrible voice. Yeah. <laughs> And that's that's the whole thing is that he's always made fun of because of that. And he's like, no, it's okay, Pumbaa. Like, you do you, man. That's the whole point of it is it doesn't matter if you can't sing. If singing what is what brings you happiness, do it. So in this movie, this is something that I fucking hate. This movie, this movie actually references other Disney movies that aren't supposed to exist within this lion African world, right? Like, these lions are not supposed to be watching Disney movies on their 42-inch plasma screen, you know what I mean? Where are they watching these movies they're lions wow. in the middle I mean, of the they, they yeah. sing you know in the jungle or whatever the lion sleeps tonight in the original movie so okay. you know they don't there's <laughs> okay still just, some just hang on for a second of, uh, just hang on for a second Disney because I'm, I'm going right, somewhere right. with this <laughs> So in the original movie, he says, and oh, the shame, uh, put a change to my name. And I got downhearted. And he says, every time that I, and then Timon covers his lips and says, Pumbaa, not in front of the kids, because he doesn't want him to say the word farted. And in this movie, Pumbaa keeps saying, he's like, and every time that I farted, aren't you guys going to stop me? And it's like, wait. Are they actually making a reference to the original fucking movie? (laughs) Why are you making a reference to a movie that they haven't seen, let alone isn't supposed to exist in this universe? Like, it's just a fucking joke that falls flat. There's no reason for it to be there. It destroys the fucking joke. It's funny because I saw the original Lion King. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then Timon turns around and turns to Puma and says, you disgust me. And he's catty and he's immature and he shits on the legacy of Elton John and Tim Rice. And it's just, it's so fucking, I, I mean, dude, <laughs> Billy Eichner, why the fuck did Billy Eichner even do this movie? Who thought this was a good idea? I really don't. I mean, I know that John Favreau is like a star fucker. He loves using stars for even the smallest roles, but come on, man. You know, like, you didn't have to do this. You shit on Nathan Lane, man. No, it's all about burning those old bridges, dude. Like, <laughs> I, w- I will say that I was thankful when Childish Gambino, <clears throat> I'm, I'm sorry, I mean, Donnie Glover showed up in this movie because at least Donnie Glover can fucking sing. Now, he did, uh, he did a, a decent job with his one song. Of course, uh, then Beyonce <laughs> was there singing a audition tape over him when it's supposed to be a duet or whatever the fuck. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Beyonce can and sing, again, but 
maybe she doesn't need to relish every single note in the scale when she's singing a duet <laughs> with someone. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. But wait, hang on for a second. Because in this scene, the scene in the movie is when Simba grows up. That dolly shot where you see them walking over the log in front of the, the fucking moon. And you see him grow up from like a kid to a teenager and then a teenager to an adult all while they're singing Hakuna Matata, right? In this movie, they do the exact same shot, which is fine. I'll give him that. But immediately after, as they're walking off and like Donnie Glover is still riffing, just like the original movie, he's still riffing on the song. Billy Eichner says something that really pissed me off, which is that he's grown 400 pounds since we started. And I'm like, are they acknowledging the fucking montage? <laughs> So now they're acknowledging the montage that they're supposedly seeing as they're fucking in it. I, I mean, again, this isn't funny. This is what Hollywood has been doing for lazy comedy for a long time now. There's so many movies that are like this where they just overplay a joke or they try to break the fourth wall and it completely fucking falls flat. And it's irritating, man. I fucking hate it. This movie can burn in hell. Like, I fucking... God damn. In our lifetimes, before I die, I'm 33. You're going to be 36 this year. Right. So in our lifetimes, before we die in our 80s or our 90s, probably, they will want to remake The Godfather. Okay. And I know that they're going to do it. It's going to happen. It's already 40 years old. That's already too old in terms of the world of Hollywood. They're going to have to remake it. But this is one of those movies to me, The Lion King is like the godfather for me. It's one of those movies that you shouldn't touch because it's such a big part of my childhood. And it's such a big part of animation history in general because this was the last truly celebrated animated Disney movie, yeah. like hand animated Disney movie. But they shit on it by, by remaking it. And they're just going to do it again <laughs> by remaking The Godfather yeah. and remake I mean, Scarface. They'll, they'll remake the remake of uh, The Lion King too, you know. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Every uh, what's the the remake uh, timeline now? I mean, they've remade Spider-Man like four I mean, times in the past it like 20 years. It, it depends on what you're talking about. You can talk about like big temple properties, which is usually about 10 to 15 years before they talk about remaking it or rebooting it as it were. But there's also like the flip side, which is foreign films, right? Like foreign films, you have a shelf life of about a year and a half to two years before somebody's going to be knocking on your door saying like, oh, that, that great foreign movie from, you know, 2018. I can remake that shit. It's going to be great. And my biggest example of this is just recently this year's best picture winner parasite won four oscars including best picture and best foreign film the first time that that's ever happened in the history of the fucking academy awards that this has happened they're remaking it oh immediately giving, nice <laughs> yeah immediately they're remaking it as a six episode hbo miniseries but here's the kicker they're doing it with the original director who also wrote it so like he's gonna expand upon the story and make six episodes of a miniseries based on parasite but why yeah like it doesn't need to exist <laughs> Fuck, man I mean, I could be wrong. In three years when this comes out and it and it turns out to be the best fucking television show of all time, I will eat my words and I will be like, you know what? I was completely wrong. But until then, fuck it. It doesn't need to exist. It's just another mindless remake because they need somebody that can't read subtitles in fucking Missouri because they can't read because they have a fourth grade education needs to be able to understand the movie. I'm sorry. I'm not targeting Missouri specifically. I'll make it about Florida because fuck Florida. <laughs> Uh, well, we get to watch uh, Nala's uh, 
new expanded timeline or whatever you know they take whole, this is a scene they take the whole surprise out of her being there of course <laughs> this scene doesn't need to be there okay like it takes the surprise out of nala showing up in the jungle and it shows that she's grown up and that she lived through scar's regime at least up until this point and then it's this weird like gulag stalag 17 type shit of her like sneaking away and the fucking hyenas are playing stormtroopers and shit i don't understand what's happening here and then they're they're both closing in from two different corners and somehow she's able to leap on top of this 15 foot rock that's right behind her without anybody noticing and without her making any noise that's fine why why does this scene need to be here why is there a five minutes they wanted to give nala some more screen time and this doesn't explain anything about her character beyonce needed more lines is basically and John Oliver yeah. needed to make his fucking story again about his cousin that thinks he's a fucking woodpecker. That was amusing, wasn't it? <sighs> no, it <sighs> wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't amusing. Oh, I'm having a stroke. Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. That's better. Okay. It passed. <laughs> In the original, the the scene where Simba finds Nala, right? Like Nala, like Pumbaa's out there looking for a grub and he's like on his own. And Nala like pokes her head up and starts chasing after him. And it's this big dramatic scene where he's being chased by this lioness and then Simba jumps in and she pins him, blah, 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 blah. There's some funny moments in there because like Pumbaa gets stuck under the root and like Timon's on the other side and he's like, what's going on? He's like, she's gonna eat me. But in this movie, the way that they introduce this scene is is that Simba is on the other side of a fucking log and he jumps up in order to try to like attack something. And the antelope, which I'm assuming is played by Phil Lamar, jumps out of the way and gets upset. And then he realizes that Simba is chasing after butterflies. And why? Why does this need to exist? Why does this scene need to happen? He doesn't tell us anything about Simba other than that he's a fucking like pacifist even though we figured that out they're trying to it's a social commentary on how you shouldn't judge a book by its cover because he's lying is that it kind of like how they're trying to say that cops shouldn't (laughs) shoot black people because they're black (laughs) they're trying to say here doesn't that come across to you that's what that's what you gathered from the scene wow you read really (laughs) deep into this somehow i missed that (laughs) i have to jump ahead and i have to say this leads us to the first dumb fuck Bowman. And it's coming up in a second, Paul, but I'm going to skip ahead and I'm going to talk about it because this shit literally pissed me off so much that I was screaming at the television set. (laughs) Often do you do that, by the way? (laughs) Pretty often. I'm actually, I'm glad that I have my own house because my old apartment, I I would have had the cops called on me because (laughs) I, I would get very angry. But the scene I want to talk about that's the dumb fuck moment of the movie is the hair. Okay. The hair. The hair. And that's that the whole point of the scene is that Rafiki knows that Simba is alive. Okay. So in the original, Simba Simba plops down on the edge of that rock and these seeds fly up into the air and they float through the air. And it's this really beautiful moment underscored by fucking Hans Zimmer's beautiful Oscar winning score as Rafiki snatches his shit out of the air and smells it. And he's like, oh, he's alive. He's alive. And like freaks out and starts doing this whole thing. In this movie, Simba plops down, a piece of hair comes off of him, it floats through the air, we see it twirling around, it lands in some water, and then this bird sees it and is like, oh, that's going to be a nice thing for my nest, and swoops in and grabs it and puts it in his nest, and he flies away, and mama bird doesn't like it, so she pulls it out and throws it off, and it falls, and it falls, and it lands again. And it lands on the edge of this leaf that this giraffe is eating, right? So this giraffe eats Simba's hair. (laughs) The next scene that we see is a dung beetle. 
rolling a fucking ball of shit. <laughs> a ball of shit with this hair in it and the dung beetle is rolling it along. It's this fucking minute and a half scene where he's rolling it along across the fucking world. And then I can't remember how the ball rolls away from him, but it shatters like the, the shit ball breaks apart and it breaks apart enough that the hair comes out of the shit and flies again in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> this, is the, this is the most important part of the movie because Rafiki finds out that Simba is alive and goes and confronts him and calls him on his shit. He's like, you know, you need to step up after Nala already called him on it. Right. So he calls him on it. That's the whole fucking point of this. But in this movie, the most important part of the fucking movie is expressed with a ball <laughs> of shit being rolled by a fucking dung beetle. Why? Why do they do this, um, Paul? This is them literally taking a shit on something that's important <laughs> to me. I don't know. I, I don't know what they're trying to make a commentary on there. Maybe it's just, <laughs> yeah, they're literally shitting on you and telling you to go fuck yourself. <laughs> and they don't give a shit because they have a billion dollars in their pocket now. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> Do you remember the scene in South Park where they make fun of the Disney company with the Jonas Brothers concert? And it's that moment when Mickey Mouse comes out and he's like, ha, 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 and he like starts, he starts kicking the fucking Jonas Brothers. He's like, you aren't going to fucking talk to me that way. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Moment. <laughs> so ever since that, ever since that, every decision that Disney makes, I think of Mickey Mouse saying something in that Trey Parker, Mickey Mouse voice. And this moment in particular in this movie, it proves that, that the, that's the way Mickey Mouse really is. Is Because this movie, there's no reason for it to exist other than to make money. And it's not like they didn't have anything else that they could have put on the docket in order to make money. But they're hoping that people in their 30s that maybe have kids that grew up watching this movie are going to want to show their kids The Lion King. And they're going to be like, oh, this is going to be great. I can take my kids to go see The Lion King, blah, 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 blah. But, 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 but. We live in the age of digital media. The Lion King is available to stream easily. So rather than pay $100 for you, your wife, your kids, fucking popcorn and all that shit in order to sit through a two-hour movie, you could put your kids in front of the fucking television because let's face it, a lot of people in their 30s are broke or under some fucking huge burden of like student loan debt or something like that. You could put them down. You could make them watch this great movie that you saw when you were a kid while they're a kid and be like, look, you see this shit? This was the movie that like fucking made my childhood when I was a kid, you know, whether that's Star Wars or fucking Lord of the Rings or The Lion King or whatever it may be or fuck it, you know, sit them down and make them watch Scarface, <laughs> make them watch Goodfellas. That's my biggest fear about becoming a father is I'm worried that I'm going to sit my kid down at five years old and I'm going to show him hmm. Scarface or something <laughs> like that. And I'm going to permanently fucking warp my child Okay, just because I can't wait you, for the proper You time. saw it. You saw it just fine. You, you were okay. Yeah. I saw it when I was 14. There's a big difference between 5 and 14. Scarface didn't have as much of an effect on me when I was 14 because I had seen some other shit by that point. <laughs> but if I saw Scarface when I was 5, I would be fucked up. Yeah. Like, way fucked up. That's the beauty of being a parent. You get to choose when you show this shit to your kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. How, I mean, you show, like, a kid any Disney movie, aren't they traumatized because, like, the parent dies in like every Disney movie. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
the amount of shit that happens in Disney. All right, so look, I'll bring this up because I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because in 2010, you and I went to go see Toy Story 3, right? And Toy Story 3 had just come out. I'm a huge fucking Pixar fan. I'm a huge Toy Story fan, as is Paul. And there's like the, the buildup at the end, right? The whole trash compactor scene, and then they end up in that giant funnel that's going toward the flames and shit like that. I remember looking at Paul and being like, bro, if people took their kids to see this movie, this shit is traumatic, man. Like, <laughs> this is the kind of shit that causes like nightmares. And then like, yeah. this is going to, I mean, let alone these toys are going to need some serious therapy after all this shit is done. Like, <laughs> like the amount of escalation especially in fucking pixar movies i mean the first 10 minutes are up dude the first yeah. 10 minutes are up when they kill his man. wife i was oh my man i was god. crying during that scene. <laughs> oh my god how how are kids supposed to watch this shit and i appreciate i appreciate <laughs> that that's the way that disney is going they're being more mature about it they're bringing up big issues and bringing up big things that kids need to know about death getting old stuff like that but like this shit is traumatic even to me watching it as a fucking 30 year old person like it's got to be fucking mind-blowing for a kid i can't even imagine what i think kids life? need a little trauma in their lives though you know keep them on their toes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah my my trauma when i was a kid was getting shot at by my grandmother but you know that's okay if they want to replace that with ups you know that's <laughs> at the beginning that's okay i guess that is better you know i mean you're not gonna die if you go and see the the opening of up you're gonna be traumatized but you know you could actually die from your 78 year old grandmother picking up a 10 millimeter pistol and shooting at you were you bad i mean what did you do to piss her off no i didn't do anything (laughs) (laughs) fucking do anything you fucking psychopath of a human being man like she just she was a bad person she was a really really bad person i'll go i'll go i didn't have that same moment i mean my my grandma was like a wonderful woman like pillar of the community i don't know what happened to your fucking (laughs) i'm gonna have to go into that in a later episode but moving on with this trauma that's in uh in the lion king which the biggest traumatic point in this movie is actually just watching the goddamn thing because i know (laughs) how fucking good the original is i it's there's all these little moments in this movie that just undercut any sort of emotion that would have been there in the original and like one of the biggest thing is the way that they portray Rafiki in this movie and Rafiki yeah. in the original he was like kooky and weird and like he he had like that whole kung fu thing and that was dope dude like his staff and the kung fu and everything like that and he's funny and he's a, he's yeah. he's relatable in some sort of weird way but this also movie got that he, deep wisdom but yeah I don't know what the fuck yeah. happened to him in this yeah I don't know either. This, he's just a goddamn monkey he looks stupid. <laughs> I hate him. <laughs> and then, and then he pulls out the staff out of the tree, and he looks at it, and he's like, "My old friend." I was like, "Wait, at, at no point have we seen this fucking staff. Like, this is new information to us. If they had shown him earlier, like in the original, for instance, <laughs> <laughs> the christening scene at the beginning, he has his staff. He pulls off a gourd off of the staff and breaks it open in order to like anoint Simba. But even if he put it away and he brought it back again in the original, he could have said, oh, my old friend, and we would have known what that is. But in this movie, he pulls it out of nowhere, out of his tree, and he's just like, oh, my old friend. And it's like, what the fuck is this? Is this a peace <laughs> pipe? Is he going to smoke some brown now? Like, what's going on? <laughs> I didn't understand it, man. Like it's it just defeats the purpose of Rafiki. Rafiki's there 
as like this uh word of wisdom and this fucking like sage that's gonna like make sure everybody's okay even though this fucking regime is terrible it's that it's that thing that you're looking toward at the end of the trump administration like it's all gonna be okay <laughs> he's fucking uh well no. If any Trump listeners are listening, fuck Donald Trump because I don't want you being a member of the podcast if you <laughs> like Donald Trump. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> uh, now I just, we come to we're watching the movie in the background here. Now we're at uh, <laughs> the the Can You Feel the Love Tonight song. No and, chemistry. No chemistry yeah, in this. Yeah, you know, this is a side note. I I got to bring this up for a second. Did you know that the original 1994 Lion King is widely regarded as the furriest movie of all time for furries? I could see that. Yeah, that (laughs) makes sense. I mean, who doesn't get an erection during the... uh, Oh, dude. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) But again, no Elton John singing this song. I'm out, man. You know, like Elton John's lyrics and his singing along with Tim Rice's music was the reason why I love this fucking scene. It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful moment. And it takes place at sunset, which is romantic. And then it goes into the twilight time. And now this is midday. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) So romantic. Where it's the flattest, most ugly lighting that you could fucking have is in the middle of the day between noon and 4 p.m. They're out there frolicking around getting freaky, but they don't get freaky. That's the thing. Like they immediately go into their fight, but their fight has all the teeth knocked out of it because like that's the original as well. Like she says like, well, at least one of us does. And he's like, well, you don't even know what I've been through. And she's like, I would if you would just tell me. He's like, I'm not going to. And she's like, fine. And then they wander off and it's this tense moment they left with. But in this movie, he says like, you wouldn't understand. She's like, okay, Simba, then I guess that this is goodbye. And he's like, okay, goodbye. And they like walk off and it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. There's no there's no tension here. There's no sexual tension. Even though as a kid, you're not going to know that this is sexual tension that's living in this scene. But there's no sexual tension. And like Donnie Glover, just me hearing Donnie Glover's voice and Beyonce's voice, I know that them aren't like, you know, trying to play around backstage or whatever behind Jay-Z's back. I know that, you know? <laughs> so any chemistry that could have existed in the real life actor's realm isn't there either. So yeah. there's nothing in this scene. Nothing. Yeah. Again, another great example. Another great example of no chemistry and fucking up a great scene for no goddamn reason. But plus, Simba running off in the original reinforces the character development of him that he is blaming himself and like hiding the fact that he feels like he actually killed his dad because his fucking uncle manipulated him into believing that. And he's dealing with abandonment issues. And that scene, this is another great example. That scene deserves the next scene, which is him and Rafiki. Rafiki standing there and like looking at him. And he's like, who's this fucking weird monkey? And then he says like, you know, I know who you are. You Mufasa's boy. And he turns around like, what, are you, what the fuck are you? T- what did you say? And like Rafiki runs off. He's like, bye. And he just runs off. That's what's great about the original, man. Like it deserves that scene and it forces the next scene to happen. But this scene, he says bye and he's wandering through the forest and he's bitching like a little emo saying like, <laughs> oh, I don't need any friends. Why do I need friends? Blah, 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 blah. And then Rafiki's up in the tree just watching him like a creepy, like fucking homeless guy, like jerking off behind a dumpster. <laughs> There's no reason for this scene to exist. It's just there. It's, it's plot points for the sake of plot points rather than plot points that are deserved. And this is sloppy screenwriting at its best man like jeff nathanson <laughs> they may as well have fucking david coeff write this fucking thing and do lost world too you know what I mean? 
But because that next scene needs to be forced, it's all exposition. It's, and when he says, like, you don't even know who you are. And he's like, yeah, I'm sure that you know. And he says, you're Mufasa's boy. Simba's just like, oh, what? How did you know that? And it's like, this isn't the beat, man. The beat is, who the fuck is this monkey? Like, how does he know that I'm Mufasa's boy? Not this, like, sort of dull, oh, who are you again? How do you know my dad's name? There's no fucking tension here. There's no point of realization it's a bunch of bullshit. It really is. <laughs> Plus, there's the whole scene that this leads into because he has the staff and he doesn't get it until later in this movie. But that whole scene in the original where he like smacks him in the head and he gives him that wise wisdom. He smacks him and he's like, ow, what did you do that for? And he swings at him again and Simba ducks and he's just like, ah, see you see? And he's like, yeah, the past can hurt, but you can only it can only hurt you if you don't learn from it. <laughs> That's the point yeah, of the original. Yeah. But in this movie, no, no. staff. No lesson learned, no confrontation, no reason Simba should go back to Pride Rock. For what? Why the fuck is he going back to Pride Rock? He's not being challenged into it. He's not being forced into it. It's bullshit, dude. Maybe they wanted him. I don't know. Maybe God, they wanted him yeah. to make his own choice instead of being peer pressured. Maybe that that's what they were trying uh, to, you know, they didn't want it? him to be uh, oh peer pressured. God. And no. part of being a king, <laughs> part of being a king, they say it in the original is that you have to take responsibility for something, even though you may know that it's going to be hard and it's not what you want to do. That's the fucking point of the first movie. But in this movie, they don't have that point. It's just like, <laughs> oh, you know what? Scars like kind of fucking shit up and like we aren't really eating a whole lot. And you know, if you come back to Pride Rock and get some of the sweet Nala gash, <laughs> that's all that they're sweet giving. Nala gash. <laughs> You're gonna have to elaborate on that a little bit, Gabe. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm not elaborating at all, all right. on Nala Gash. <laughs> I, it, it, it just doesn't make any sense, man. The, the, the movie doesn't deserve anything that it's trying to say. And then this whole scene that's playing right now about him rushing through the thickets and like chasing after Rafiki, there's, there's no tension in this again. And so like Rafiki, when he gets to the end, in the original Rafiki like ducks out of nowhere and says, stop! And he like slams on the brakes and he's like really tense. And this movie, Rafiki just pokes his head into the frame and Simba stops and just like stares at him with this blank like weed stare. <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, I'm going to show you your dad. And he brings him down. Fuck this movie, man. Like, <laughs> the, the biggest moment that I can say with James Earl Jones phoning it in is the speech where he comes out of the clouds. Because in the original, yeah. he's, he's literally yelling at the sky because he was just shat on by his friends in that way where he says like, oh, I bet a bunch of royal dead guys are watching us and they start laughing at him. And he wanders away defeated because he's like, you know, I can't even share this with like my best friends. Like that really fucking hurts, man. Like that shit hurts. It's there. It's in the scene. And, you know, that's the reason why when he sees like he's yelling at the sky, you said you would always be there for me and you're not. And then the fucking sky starts opening up and Mufasa comes out and says what he's got to say. That's the reason why it's so powerful, man, is that he's confronting his son after his death. And this scene, you can hear it in James Earl Jones's voice. He's just like, and the worst line. The worst line in this movie is in this scene where he look, he's in the sky and he's just like, son, my proudest moment as king was being your father. I was like, oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> it's like that. So bad. So bad. <sighs> oh, man. I just, I, it doesn't, uh, this is the most beautiful scene in the original. It's like that moment where you can tear up and be like, oh my God, is like his dad's still there and like it's, he's living in him. It's beautiful. And like this, this, no. No, no, you know, that's no, man. Like, yeah, there's, no. There's, nothing, there's nothing here. It's dead, <laughs> dead on arrival. 
But what's more egregious in this is the scene right after this is like Simba decides that he's going to go back home, despite the fact that he didn't need to make a choice. Nobody forced him into it. You know, like he wasn't forced into confronting his past. He just decides, oh, you know, I'm not really doing anything. I'm just kind of sitting out here with these two dudes, like (laughs) making fart jokes and like eating grubs and like kind of trying to play with my lion testicles every once in a while. And that's it. Like that's all he has going on. But in this movie, he isn't forced into actually going back or confronting his past, but he decides to go back anyway. But the egregious part of this is fucking Beyonce's song. It may as well be a fucking Randy Newman song, man. <laughs> it's like, it's narrating what you're seeing. It's like in the original, it was like this very beautiful, like intense, like build up to this like beautiful African track where you can't fucking understand what they're saying unless she speaks Swahili. So you, you're not understanding what they're saying, but it's beautiful. And you're like, yes, man, like go and kick Scar's ass. Fuck that guy, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's the rocky moment man we yeah. want him to fucking punch apollo creed in the face and knock his ass out not kill him obviously but knock his no, ass out no. <laughs> so but in this in this song she, her lyrics are fight for everything the light touches i i, I, I <laughs> <laughs> your destiny is coming close you might as well stand up and fight is the lyric so you might as well. We might as well go and fight for what's important to us. We might as well make this movie. We might as well cast people in it that are going to sell records. We might as well. This is all might as well. It's not, it doesn't need to happen. It doesn't need to happen. Nothing in this movie needs to happen. This movie didn't need to happen. Oh, so another moment that I hated was uh, <laughs> they're, they're back at the edge of Pride Rock and Simba looks at Nala and they they have that line that's in the original as well but she says like danger i laugh in the face of danger and she doesn't laugh which is kind of weird but besides the fact (laughs) that that line is referring to a line that was never said in this movie in the original simba says i laugh in the face of danger ha 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 and nala quotes it back to him in this same scene in the original and it makes it sense, but now it doesn't because we never fucking heard that line. And I don't know if somebody was just asleep at the wheel when they fucking approved this script or nobody said shit. How does this get this far, Paul? And nobody notices that this is a line that they're referencing that's out of the original movie. It's not this movie that they're referencing out of. I think they uh, maybe, maybe they cut that scene where they did that. And... <laughs> so this movie wouldn't be two like, and a half hours yeah. long? And then they're like, yeah... We'll just leave it in there. Everyone knows what we're talking about anyways. <laughs> Could you imagine seeing a two and a half an hour version of this movie where it accomplishes the same thing that the 88 minute version did in 94? <laughs> I would put a fucking gun in my mouth. man. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, thank God that this movie comes in right under two hours because like it's already fucking overlong as it is. It's somehow yeah. overlong, but underdeveloped. Like that's that's completely a direction thing. Like if a movie is overly long but underdeveloped, it's because the scenes don't function and they're just there for filler. And that's a big fucking problem with the director because John Favreau again is a piece of shit. <laughs> Fuck John Favreau, dude. Did you watch The Mandalorian? I'm, I'm gonna take a little fucking detour here for a second. No, I haven't watched it. So you're not missing anything, number one. You should see it if you're a Star Wars completionist and you got to see everything Star Wars. No, I think I told you I'm (laughs) done with that shit. Done. But here's the biggest problem with The Mandalorian. I I said I was going to bring this up at the beginning of the episode, and here it is. I'm going to give you my rant on The Mandalorian. Mandalorian is 10 episodes 
of a six episode series. It's six episodes of content stretched out into 10 episodes. Every single fucking episode is like self-contained, right? Which is kind of cool, but it's also made for the ADD generation. That way they don't have to pay attention between <laughs> episodes on like B and C storylines that are going to complete themselves at the end of the season. Right. But because it's self-contained episodes, there's no overall threat because in every TV show, there's an overall threat that somebody has to deal with, right? Right. Like, let's just bring up Breaking Bad for a second. Breaking Bad season one, his overall threat is Tuco, right? Tuco right. is the fucking madman, and he goes into Tuco's warehouse, like in the fifth episode of the first season, he throws down the fulminated mercury and blows the fucking windows out and all that shit, right? Shows Tuco what he's made of. That's the overall reaching fucking antagonist throughout the up throughout the season. He like drops in here and there in order to like bring up ratchet up the tension that deserves that scene in order to come along, right? The Mandalorian doesn't have an overall villain. It's just like these individual episodes where like there's a, a difficulty that they need to get through and there's sort of like this like overall villain, but he doesn't show back up again. And that's Werner Herzog's character. Because Werner Herzog has all the fucking like absolute all the fucking best reasons to be the overall arch villain that's gonna go after him and fuck him over at every second that he gets. But he doesn't. For the whole fucking season, he's not there. And I'm just like waiting for him to come back. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> Werner's good, man. Like he's a pretty decent actor and he's a great fucking director. But like, is he going to come back? Is he going to like threaten these people? Like what's going on? What's keeping, <laughs> what's keeping my ass in the seat tuning in every week other than the fact that this is a fucking Star Wars thing? And because of that, all the dramatic tension is gone. There's no reason for us to worry about the Mandalorian because we know he's always going to be okay. He's not going to actually die. He's not actually going to get hurt. And why why am i sitting there for 10 episodes and on top of that there's no character arc he doesn't deserve anything the fucking evil guy doesn't get defeated and because of that why did i sit through 10 episodes and if they're going to give me 10 more why the fuck am i going to sit through those <laughs> well, maybe werner hergesack uh, comes back in the second season you know uh, i should hope so back, you know i will i will give her werner herzog some props on this one because when they had wanted to do the child, right? The fucking baby Yoda that everybody talks about. When they wanted to do that, originally they wanted to do it with puppets and like they got some footage back, the Disney execs, and they said, oh, it doesn't, it, it looks like a fucking puppet. We should change it to digital, blah, 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 blah. And it was Werner Herzog that stepped in and he, did, he said this in an interview where he said he stepped in and he called them fucking cowards. He told the <laughs> Disney executives, you are fucking cowards if you don't go with the puppet. And he made his fucking point and he got angry and yelled at him. And they ended up actually going with the puppet. And I was like, thank you, Werner. Thank you. Because <laughs> nice. Werner doesn't give a shit anymore, man. He's yeah, like he has no 80 reason to. And he just doesn't <laughs> give a fuck. <laughs> I'm sorry. I went down the, the Mandalorian rabbit hole for a second. I'll, I'll get back to this piece of shit movie now. So that's, that's another thing is I'm blaming all of the Mandalorian on Jan, John Favreau. Because <laughs> his fucking fault is showrunner that it turned out that way. He doesn't know how to write a TV show, dude. He's a fucking film director. And even that, he doesn't even write his own scripts because he's a fucking hack. Like, <laughs> come on, man. He doesn't know what story structure is, let alone trying to get 10 episodes out of something. Fuck it, man. God damn. Moving on. Another, <laughs> another really, really oh, egregious God. moment. 
another really egregious moment in this movie where Disney references itself is in the original, they say the whole thing about live bait, right? They're going to use Timon yeah. and Pumbaa in order to be live bait. And he does that whole hula scene where he's just like dressed in drag and do the hula. And he's like, wow. And he starts singing the hula song and they run off with the fucking hyenas. In this movie, they do the same thing, except the song that he starts singing is Be Our Guest from fucking Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Why the fuck, dude? Seriously, this pissed me off almost more than anything in this movie because I was like, again, these characters are fucking wild animals living in the fucking Serengeti. How are they supposed to know this song from a 1991 Disney movie? What is going on? <laughs> uh, That's, no, I'm just going to call it. Was, it was too bad that they, they picked that one because then, uh, see, they, that reminded me of seeing the live action version of beauty and the beast which was yep. i don't know if it's worse than this movie uh, at least it has like a couple of human actors that emote with their faces <laughs> <laughs> but then it has the same problem in that all the animated characters you can't even see their fucking faces mm -hmm. in that movie so. yep <sighs> I, I mean it's it's like comparing piles of shit paul you know i mean if you see like a horse pucky on a fucking prairie and a buffalo pucky you're gonna be like oh which one looks more like a pile of shit <laughs> they're both piles of shit paul <laughs> just move on and forget that you saw them so that's that's like a big fucking problem for me because that it that for me is dumb fuck moment number two again you're referencing something that these characters wouldn't have seen and you're just trying to break the fourth wall for a second because you think you're fucking clever, but you're not. You're a fucking hack. Jeff Nathanson's <laughs> a fucking hack, and so is John Favreau. I mean, give me any evidence that John Favreau is something of a decent director. I mean, he could put together a movie like Iron Man, and you know, yeah, it's enjoyable. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. did a majority of the work in that movie, man. If Robert Downey Jr. wasn't in that movie. Wouldn't have worked, man. It doesn't matter how good, like anything else, the technical merits of it would have been. Robert Downey Jr. was Iron Man, yeah. and it profited. It profited so much on the fact that he was Robert Downey Jr. And at one time he was a playboy, and at one time he was a fucking coked out whack job, you know. And like, <laughs> it worked for that movie because Robert Downey Jr. brought that gravitas of his real life story to the role, and he gave yeah. it that like humor and whatnot. That wasn't John Favreau's doing, and sure as shit wasn't the fucking writer's job. <laughs> well, I'm saying that that movie could have been a piece of shit if it were for terrible directing. You know, a, a director can fuck up a movie even if it has a good <laughs> script and good actors. So, eh, you know, eh, yeah, not a terrible yeah. director. You can. <laughs> I don't know what happened here, or well, with most of his movies. <laughs> All of his movies. All right, so I'll, I'll I'll bring this up because this was we're watching the scene right now when he has the big showdown between him and Simba and Pride Rock is on fire. Pregnant pause has a problem here where he says the quiet part loud, and this is even <laughs> this is even referenced by Sarabi, right, Simba's mother. And in the scene, this is the moment where he comes out, and in the original, Scar is like, "Oh my God, no, Mufasa, you're dead." And in the original, Jeremy Irons says, "Oh, Simba, how good to see you. I'm a little surprised to see you." And he says very quietly over his shoulder toward the hyenas alive and like all the hyenas <laughs> swallow real hard and step away this movie pregnant pause says i'm a little surprised to see you 
waiting for the beat to pass. Alive! Why did that part need to be loud? Why did it need to be so pregnant of a pause? Why was it directed at Simba rather than the fucking hyenas who the line is meant for? It's just, it's all over the fucking map, dude. But like, it, it gets worse because Sarabi actually picks up on it later when Simba's hanging over the rock and he admits to Simba that he killed Mufasa. He says it very loudly. He says, <laughs> I killed Mufasa. Yeah. And he originally like whispers it in his he ear. He whispers it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so in this movie, how and why did Sarabi choose to focus on the point of his monologue to Simba and say, hey, Scar, I thought you said that Mufasa's death was a, was a fucking accident. Then how did you see the look in his eyes? She mentions that in this movie. And I'm like, that was what you took away from his fucking speech? Like he just told Simba... <laughs> in the loudest volume possible that he killed his fucking father. But that's the part you need to look at is, oh, oh, I need to use logic for this one and try to trap him in a logistical trap by saying about, oh, how did you see his eyes if it was an accident? Get the fuck out of here. God damn, you just missed the whole goddamn confession. You missed the forest for the trees on that one, you stupid fucking lioness. God damn, it's no wonder you're starving to death. <sighs> Are we to believe that Scar somehow changes fundamental nature of lionesses and that him him and the fucking hyenas are doing all the hunting because in this movie he that's the fucking kickers he says that the that him or sarabi says like scar you're over hunting you're letting the hyenas take too much there's not enough left over for us and he's like then you get what's left but the hyenas don't leave a lot left and he like walks away and the hyenas attack the carcass in the original movie he makes the lionesses hunt you more <laughs> in order for him to be the lazy fat cat and sit back and chew the fat, literally. Him and the fucking yeah. hyenas. But in this movie, he somehow changes the basic biological instinct of lionesses. I don't fucking understand, dude. What is the point in changing that? It doesn't need to change. The whole point is, is that he is manipulating these people in order to like use their talents in benefit of his fucking greed. That's the whole point. But in this movie, he doesn't do that. He's like, oh, I'm going to go out and hunt. Get the fuck out of here, man. <laughs> he was hiding in a cave jerking off the weird lioness magazines. And like now he's... Now he's, uh, yeah. yeah. yeah Still jerking off. Get the fuck out of here. I mean, I, I don't even want to know about any lion rape that would have happened during this time period. <laughs> So in this movie, Timon, Timon, the whole fucking movie is a lazy bitch, right? And the biggest thing that I can point to in this is like this fight scene at the end. There's like this very real moment in the first one where like Timon jumps off of Pumbaa's back and they split up because they know that they can like take shit on their own and that they're going to fuck shit up together and they're going to have fun doing it separately. But they're going to come back together and like rejoin when they need help from each other. In this movie, Timon just rides on Pumbaa's back the whole fucking battle and like bitches at Pumbaa that he's a fat pig and all this other shit. And I'm like, this is very real, terrible fucking <laughs> relationships. dude. Like this is some tragic shit, but this is okay because it's played for laughs yeah it's fine yeah. but then of course they have that really forced moment about body shaming and bullying <laughs> <laughs> where, where the the hyenas called him uh Boomba fat or whatever and right he has that whole speech about yeah. how he's not you're not ashamed. gonna shame me for being myself that's just seth rogan piling it on dude <laughs> That guy, that guy is so insecure, man. I remember, I, I don't mean to bring up Entourage again, but I remember that episode of Entourage where they can't stop talking about Knocked Up and how 
they don't understand how hot ass Catherine Heigl is going to sleep with fat fuck Seth Rogen. And she must've been really fucking drunk in order to do that. And that, that episode apparently pissed Seth Rogen off so much that he made an appearance on the Simpsons where like he ended up killing off the entire cast of entourage. And I don't remember how, but he's just like, Oh, that was the entire cast. The entourage that blew up. And it's like, that's your comeback. You fucking lazy bitch. That's your clap back. I don't understand. Like if you're going to, if you're going to call somebody out, call them out too, man. You know, don't be a fucking hack. I mean, let's be honest, though. I mean, Seth Rogen, he's been playing the same shit for the past 15 years. Of the, oh, I'm fat and I'm kind of funny. And, uh, <laughs> aren't I funny because I'm fat? Made a lot of money. Well, he also smokes weed. Don't forget that part. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. I support him for that. <laughs> but I mean, at least Chris Farley was actually fat. So when he made a fat joke, it was a funny fat joke. Yeah. This, you know, Seth Rogen's not fat enough in order to be that funny. He's just played yeah. off for laughs. There's a lot of gay panic in fucking Seth Rogen's arguments too. It's like, it's so <laughs> fucked up because that's what he relies on for most of his humor is gay panic. And I'm just like, come on, man. Like, you fucking hack. Again, this is a hack director and a hack writer and hack producers and a hack studio putting a bunch of hacks in front of the screen. And the the most disappointing thing is that they made money off of this shit, Paul. Like they made a fuck ton of money off of yeah. this. Oh, so Scar's How would you death. All right, go ahead. <laughs> Scar's death in this movie, the hyenas corner him, right? And one of the hyenas says, like you said, Scar, a hyena's belly is never full, and then attacks him. Scar never says that line in this movie. Again, this is a writer who doesn't even know his own fucking script. He never says in that movie that a hyena's belly is never full. But in the scene that's supposed to be the big comeuppance between the fucking hyenas revolting and like finally taking shit for themselves and acting out against this lion that's been abusing him this whole time, <laughs> they reference a line that was never said. Fuck you sure he didn't say it in the, the spoken jam poetry session or whatever it was? No, I mean, no. it could have been. Maybe I blacked out during that because it was just like I was so, <laughs> so taken. <pissed. laughs> I was pissed. Yeah. I was so pissed. Speaking of the, the fucking I just can't wait to be king scene, like not having the stacks of animals. <laughs> The fucking the crazy right? over the top Disney moment. Oh my god! Not having yeah. that and like putting it in this sort of framework, it's just it's so boring, man. Yeah. The fucking camera angles are boring. The fucking yeah. coordination and like fucking but real real animals can't stack on top of each other like that. So <laughs> you can't, you can't do that. Talking animals <laughs> cannot stand on top of each other. So we got to do it real, man. Gotta so. Do it real. <laughs> I want to I want to bring up the last moment in this movie, right? This this goes hand in hand with Hans Zimmer's beautiful score because in the original it's raining, it's putting out the embers, it's like this new life moment and he's walking up Pride Rock in slow motion and it's this badass moment because we know he's going to get up there and he's finally going to take what's his and Scar is dead and we're so excited for fucking Simba. And in this movie he walks up does the exact same thing. But he roars his big roar after the fucking buildup and the music has already passed. Because in the in the music, it like builds up to this crescendo of like fucking vocalists and horns and fucking drums. And it builds up to this huge moment. And when that moment hits, he's already well into the fucking roaring. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> come on. Just just from like a film standpoint, man, you wait for it. You wait for the cue, man. The musical cue is what kills it, man. That's the part. It really hits you in the gut and you remember that shit. But in this movie, it just wastes that last moment and then this movie's over. Yeah. It's a fucking no, shame. A lot of wasted opportunities in this movie. 
if you if you were John Favreau and Disney was going to pay you a lot of money, I mean, to make this movie, what would you have done differently? I mean, there's a... So <laughs> you have I tried John... to make it your own movie or you just do it like a shot by shot remake? No, no, no. I would literally do a shot by shot remake. I would do it with photorealistic images and I wouldn't change a fucking thing about how the flow of the original movie went along. Not one fucking beat I would change. I would maybe change the choreography a little bit in terms of like, you know, animals can't stack on top of each other. But I wouldn't make it like it was where these kids are just like running underneath animals and Zazu is fucking blind and can't see two lions <laughs> that are running while everybody else is standing still. I don't understand. Is John Oliver blind and he can't see it? He's a fucking idiot, man. Like him being the king's advisor. This is, this is Steve Bannon talking to donald trump that's what this shit is <laughs> he's a fucking idiot standing behind another fucking idiot <laughs> and trying to give him advice on how to be less of an idiot but john favreau john favreau he just he he doesn't give any direction he just lets it play out because he's fucking lazy and he's cashing a check because he's a fat fuck and he just needs to eat his donuts or whatever <laughs> And Nathan, Jeff Nathanson, same thing, man. He rewrote this thing for some fucking reason. I don't need, I mean, even from a screenwriting standpoint, I can't justify anything that he did because there's nothing that he did that made more sense in terms of like a script flow or anything yeah. like that. On top of the fact that this movie's too fucking long. It doesn't need to be two hours long. It just doesn't. It doesn't need to be a 118 page script. It needs to be a 93 page <laughs> script. The unfortunate thing about it is that it made money, which means that they're going to make more of these fucking oh, yeah. shit. Every things. one of these has made money, hasn't it? <laughs> has there been a flop like live action Disney remake in the past? I, I, I want to say that I want to say that Dumbo flopped. Mm -hmm. Look, I got I got to look this up actually because I'm not sure. I want to say that Dumbo flopped though. Yeah, Dumbo flopped. So like Dumbo was made for 170 million. It made 114 million in the United States and it ended with a 353 million dollar gross, which means that they only made yeah. with advertising budget, they only made about 13 million dollars on this movie. That movie fucking flopped, dude. Yeah. So there's one. All right. All right. <laughs> Hopefully that will discourage them. But I mean, they've already trashed like all the good ones. So <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. I mean, luckily they only Maybe they can up. remake Aristocrat Aristocats or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah. <laughs> remake that yeah if they yeah. were if they remade aristocats but they were saying the aristocrats joke i would pay to see, <laughs> to see one of the cats talking about felching i would, <laughs> I would pay to see that shit <laughs> i would speaking of you had brought up you had brought up that maybe we should talk about that movie cats at some point and i just want to nip that in the bud right away and i'm going to say <laughs> That unless something dramatic changes in my life, I will not sit down and try to fucking watch that movie again in my life. I will not waste time on it. I get seven and a half minutes into it and I have to shut it off. I've tried four times. I always shut it off at the same point. <laughs> What's funny, you might be interested in this actually, is that there's like a little thing floating around saying that there is a version of cats where there's actual anuses on all the cats. Uh. And that they had to go back and actually edit the <laughs> anuses out. <laughs> because it was freaking edition. people. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was freaking people out. Some, someone uh, put up a video on YouTube. They did the whole like, uh, they did like a short version with egregious cat assholes <laughs> on there. So that was good enough for me. I, I 
satisfied dude, that curiosity dude, with that one. I don't need to see the I, full I, length. I honestly wish that I could sit down and talk about that movie because this is an excellent example of a studio making something that doesn't need to exist and it failing. And the biggest thing that's egregious about that movie is that we gave this man who directed that movie a fucking Oscar. We gave him best director and best picture for the King's Speech in 2010, even though... The Social Network came out the same year and is arguably the better movie and certainly better directed than that fucking movie. And they're still both great movies. I'm not going to nitpick which one's better necessarily, but I will say that The Social Network is better directed. And the fact that we gave this man a fucking Oscar and he pays us <laughs> back by giving us a ninety, a $90 million Cats movie <laughs> is just... It's a slap in the face, man. It really is. It's a slap in the face. And I hope, I honestly hope that it ends his career because he's not a great director, man. I hope it ends his career and he never recovers I mean, from it's, it. It's going to be hard to come back from that. He's going to have to go full indie <laughs> for a while to build up <laughs> some you, more cred to get any kind of studio money ever again. <laughs> uh, Did you see that, that, viral, that viral message that a guy like uh, followed Kat's movie on Instagram and sent them a message and like screen capped his messages that he was sending to Kat's movie. This is great. He, he sends a message saying like, hey, I just saw Kat's in theaters. I really enjoyed it, blah, 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 blah. And whoever was managing the fucking page actually replied to him and they said, oh, that's great. What was your favorite? Who was your favorite character? And he says, Sven. He's like, what do you mean, Sven? There's no cat named Sven. And he's like, yeah, the $70 million that you flushed down the fucking toilet. <laughs> And he said that they immediately blocked him after that comment. <laughs> I was like, that's fucking fantastic. Oh man. No, that's that's one that I just I can't I can't bring myself to watch it, Paul. So I mean you and I are gonna have to brainstorm on uh on what our next movie is gonna be because it's not gonna be cats, bro. <laughs> I, th- I I think I have to see at least part of it to understand this phenomenon <laughs> how bad it really is. I mean, that's the thing, though, is that yeah, it's, it's part of it, at least it's so bad, but like, at least it didn't make any money. You know, like if it was one of those things where it was a fucking phenomenon, even though it was terrible, then we could really sit down and like break it down and be like, why the fuck did this movie fly? But it didn't fly. It fucking <laughs> failed. Thankfully, that means that people still have a little bit of sense, but. Yeah, Maybe. then somehow this makes a shitload of money. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think this movie was all just marketing and I don't know. I guess there's people that enjoyed it somehow, but how? No, I don't know. No, man. I, who the fuck? I, I, you know, I have a friend who eats up everything Disney. Yeah. And this friend will not admit that this movie is shitty even though they know it's shitty, <laughs> even though they, I know that they don't like watching this movie, that they'd rather pop in the original. But because of their blind loyalty to all things Disney, they have to go and see it. They have to fucking spend their money on it and they have to obsess over it as if it's something that's great. It's like a fucking cult, dude. It's like a yeah. cult of Disney. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's not just this one friend. I have like three or four other friends that are like this, that they're addicted to this cult of Disney and it's quite, alarming actually i'm just like <laughs> dude you know even as even as a fanboy as much as i am i can admit when somebody does a bad movie like when spike lee when spike lee went off on his five-year bender of making bad movies and he did the sweet blood of jesus and he did the old boy remake and like 
I was like, dude, what the fuck? He did Red Hook Summer. I was just like, what the fuck is happening? What is going on? This guy just doesn't give a shit anymore. And then he did his Kickstarter video where he was drunk. And it's this night. If you haven't seen it, actually, it's fucking hilarious. He does this 45-minute tirade on why you should give him money in order to make this <laughs> blood of Jesus. But he's drunk. And you can see that he's fucking drunk in the video. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, I, I honestly thought that was the end of his career, dude. I really did. I thought, man, like, that's it for Spike, man. Like, I'm never going to see this guy that did, you know, fucking do the right thing or malcolm x or clockers or any of his other fucking great i think the the like 2000s were kind of a dark time for him because of 9-11 and how movie studios probably thought he was too controversial maybe he's just like a loose cannon as far as like calling bush out on his shit (laughs) and like you know (laughs) so i think it took a while for him to get any of his like projects they actually wanted to do and that's why i ended up doing shitty movies for a while yeah well i mean he came back though you know when he did chirac like i actually really enjoyed chirac and i went and i saw it and i was i was surprised by it i was like maybe that angry guy that i grew up loving his work is back and he's actually fucking making a good movie again and then he did fucking black klansman man yeah. And I was like, okay, this man is back. Like, this is it. This is yeah. the reason why I go see Spike Lee movies is because of this shit. And like, he finally came back, man. Mm. Good for him, you know, because old boy. <laughs> well, there's a remake that didn't need to happen. There, and, and, dude, yeah, yeah. maybe we should break that down and talk uh, about that yeah, versus the original. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I can do it though, man. I mean, it's just like, it, just watching it makes me embarrassed to watch it because <laughs> I, I feel it. And you know, Spike, to his credit, he actually said that like that movie is the only movie that he wishes that he could have not made. And it got to the point that like during, during editing, because he had a three hour version of that movie that was his and like the studio took it away from him and edited down to what it is now. And if you look at the actual movie, the, the opening credits, the closing credits, the box, the fucking poster, all of it, it says a Spike Lee film and Spike never calls it films. He always calls it joints. And he always talks about it that that was his 10th joint or his 20th joint or whatever. Yeah. And that's his fucking thing. That's how he claims his movies is his own. So like he had them take that shit off because he's like, it's not a Spike Lee joint. It's not mine. It's the fucking yeah. studios. And so like he knows it's a bad movie. At least there's <laughs> that. Anyway, <laughs> so that concludes The Lion King. Paul and I again are going to have to take a step back and figure out what our next movie is going to be. But I really enjoyed breaking this down because the first movie really was like one of my favorites as a kid. And like this, this is a key example of like the most money grubbing <laughs> fucking whore of a movie. You, uh, you really got on some good rants there. I was like, oh, you know, I could interject, but he's on, uh, he's on a roll. I'm just going to let him go, man. <laughs> oh man. We gotta, we gotta break down a movie that you fucking hate that I like. We got to figure one of those out so that way you can (laughs) rail against it. We can do Avatar. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to talk about Avatar. It's all right. We can skip that one. (laughs) I don't think that movie has aged so well. Like, no, no, I don't know. I haven't watched it in a while though. So maybe, maybe I'll have to go back and revisit it. You know, one of my favorite horrible movies is Broken Arrow. And I know you Broken Arrow. No, dude, I, I, I don't mind Broken Arrow. It's, it's a bad movie. 
but like I watch it because John Travolta is so fucking good in it. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. So we don't <laughs> like, have to complain about that. Every everybody else is terrible in it. Like you can never defend <laughs> Christian Slater in that movie. He's fucking <laughs> terrible. <in that>. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe we should go back and we should watch something like uh, Hard Rain. You know? Oh no. <laughs> That's the one, man. Fucking Christian Slater has a fucking gigantic filmography full of shit movies. Maybe we need to find <laughs> find a movie that has a moment, a defining moment in an actor's career where you just see like they had a promising career or they were built <laughs> up. And then right after the scene in this particular moment in this movie that the career ended or That's you know it took really him another 20 idea. 20 years to come back you know <laughs> that's how bad it was <laughs> that's a really good idea actually i'd have to really do some digging on that because there's not a whole lot of examples that are like that where it ended a fucking actor's yeah. career that's actually a good idea maybe we'll do that next week i don't know we're gonna have to figure this out but until then thank you guys for joining us once again we enjoy having you guys. Thank you for subscribing. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and subscribe. Anyway, until then, until we figure out what the fuck we're going to do next week, until I stop yeah. drinking, I, I need <laughs> to stop drinking. That's the biggest thing. <laughs> With the coronavirus and nothing going on, man, like it's just, it's just bottle after bottle after. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, you need a new hobby. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I played with a chainsaw for two hours today. Oh, that was, that was exciting. Cutting up some Were stumps you and drinking shit. while playing with the chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think my wife would have killed me if I had okay, yeah, no, that's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, until then, thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks for hanging with us once again. This is Movie Dicks. I'm Gabriel Chavez. And I'm Paul Shindle. Thanks for hanging, guys. We appreciate it. All right.